Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Ireland Creates, the podcast about Irish storytellers, both those based here at home in the Emerald Isle and those further afield. Well, I hope you are safe and well this week, wherever you are in the world. Please do feel free to get in contact with me through ashtingorourke.com if you're interested in participating in Ireland Creates or even if you'd like to suggest a guest for the podcast. Each and every week I feature artists, writers, creatives of all genres and I would be more than delighted to hear from you. Well, on today's episode, we're joined by a fellow Offaly woman and a photographer who's had a varied career and her work has brought her as far afield as the continent of Africa But more recently, she's settled back at home in the Midlands of Ireland. I hope you enjoy hearing her story. My name is Tina Claffey and I'm a nature photographer. Uh, I specialise in macro photography, which is extreme close-up photography. And I've been taking photographs in our bogs and wetlands for over 10 years now. Um, Fascinated with that wet environment. I suppose my... My uh, journey in photography was it was kind of a long, windy road. Um, I, I'm from Burr in County Offaly, and um, I, I went to college in, in Cork. I went to art college where I specialised in photography and printmaking. And um, learning photography through art was a really great thing, I found anyway, because I was taught how to look at things differently and to think kind of outside the box. So it was a really great introduction. It was pre-digital. So it was, we rolled our own film. We developed our own films in the dark room. We printed our own prints. So it was a really immersive kind of experience with photography, um, which was great. I think it was a great grounding. It was a great start for photography for me. Well, Um, Tina Claffey, you are very welcome to Ireland Creates, the podcast about storytellers here on the Emerald Isle, um, I I like to think of it as. Tina, I know, like you mentioned there that... um, you went and you studied uh, photography as part of um, your, your art training in college. But I'm interested, where where were you introduced to photography? How did you, um, I suppose, get to learn about it initially? Well, you see, when I first went to art college, I fully believed I was going to be a painter. I had no, I didn't even know photography was part of the studies there within art college. Um, I was so I was just introduced to photography as part of a module, um, but I was hooked immediately. I really and truly was. Uh, we were given cameras um, as students. We were given cameras, and we were sent out into the city to go for hours with the camera and take our photos and come back to the to the um, college and develop from there. Um, I was really hooked straight away. And it's something, it was a medium I never thought I'd, it had never really interested me before, which was really surprising to me. Um, but yeah, no, it just, it just, it just started from there, really. I suppose I've always been drawn to the natural world, but um, photography as a medium, yeah, it was new to me, but um, I found it very exciting. One of the things with photography, of course, that can um 
I suppose, act as a bit of a barrier, particularly in the pre-digital age, was the sheer expense um, of um, getting access to equipment and even uh, to develop your own film and that it wasn't always the most accessible of mediums. Absolutely. No, that's that's very true. Um, But we were very lucky in that case in the college that they had like a lot of cameras that we could freely use. So I suppose that whole expense area and with the fact that we developed our own film as well, the expenses on our side were were minimal. Um, But yeah, as I say, it was it was a great introduction to to photography there. And it was all black and white. There was no color then. Um, So it was all about all about light and shade um, and about about your perspective, how you viewed things. Um, it was, yeah, no, I suppose I was taking photographs in the city, so it wasn't really nature-based. It was architectural, it was portraiture, that kind of end of, of photography. Um, and then when I left college, I worked with a German photographer. And that's when my technical side of photography came to the fore. Um, I learned, I think I learned more on a technical side of things with him in the space of a fortnight than I had really ever learned in college because he was an absolute perfectionist. Um, He was a fashion photographer and industrial photographer, interiors of hotels, product photography, all of that kind of thing. Um, I was his assistant and um, this learning curve was very, very steep, but really, really fantastic experience to work with him. Your hometown of Burr has a quite a significant connection with photography in um, in Mary Ross, um, and is someone who I, I even recently is part of the um, Ireland in Her Own Image exhibition in Dublin Castle. So, was there? I suppose I'm curious. When you were younger, um, was there any sort of inkling that I know you said that you didn't really realize the photography is part of the college course but were you were you encouraged I'm wondering just given the I suppose the type of place Burr is it is a bit artsy crafty and would you that that were you encouraged to go and pursue I suppose you might call it a non-standard career if you know what I mean well I suppose I suppose I was it was it was a road I I I didn't never thought I'd 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 be going down, really, um, as I say, like I thought I was going to be a painter initially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I suppose in a way I, I am a painter. I, I, I paint with light. <laughs> I suppose that's what photography is, really. Yeah. You are painting with light. Um, so I, I suppose I am a painter in, in, a, in a very indirect way. <laughs> now, um, you did that gig as a photographer's assistant, and I know it would have been... It, unfortunately, that opportunity is not there for, for many young photographers nowadays, but that would have been a pretty um, a good start for any budding photographer at that time. Where did you go next? Well, the story kind of winds and turns here. Um, one of the jobs I did with um, the photographer in Cork was to go to Kenya as his assistant to do... Um, Fashion, a fashion photography gig. It was um, wedding dresses on safari. I mean, how bizarre is that? But we went for 10 days to Kenya with many wedding dresses and two models. And uh, it was absolutely incredible. Um, well, for me, it, it completely blew my mind. Um, just even landing there, the smells, the light, the people. We went on safari, the, the wildlife. I was totally and utterly hooked immediately. Um, 
in between taking shots of the models for for the shoot, um, I got to know the staff within the hotel we were staying in and they brought me into their village and I got to know some of the people there all in that short space of time over the 10 days. But it, it really, I got it into my head when we got back to Cork after that experience that I really wanted to go to Africa. Even if it was only for a short time, I wanted that experience again. Um, so I was out for lunch one day with my uh, boss and he started to, to laugh reading the newspaper. And I was like, what are you laughing at? And he said he had found me my perfect man. So I was like, what are you talking about? And he showed me this article about a guy who um, was doing flamingo research. He was an Irish guy and he was doing flamingo research in Botswana. And he had just won the Bachelor of the Year competition. So this is why the article was in the paper. So uh, <laughs> anyway, I contacted him. Um, it took a bit of a while to get his number. But anyway, I eventually got it through the, through the newspaper, through the article. And um, I explained to him, I said, listen, I, I really want to go to Africa. I'd love to go there. Um, I'm not sure what I'd be doing there, but I, I'd, I'd love to spend time there. And he said, sure, leave it with me um, and I'll get back to you. But sure, I didn't hear from him for months. So I thought, oh, he's forgotten about me. Um, but anyway, he sent me a, he sent me an email about four months later saying, are you still keen? Just one line. So I e emailed back immediately saying, oh my God, I'm, sure, I'm really very keen. And he said, okay. He said, I, I actually need an assistant to document what I'm doing. I'm doing flamingo research in the Makadikadi salt pans in Botswana. So if, if you're agreeable, uh, Trinity College will pay for your flight and I will put you up here on, in my camp. So I couldn't pass up an opportunity like that. Um, now, I like I'm Burr is a beautiful place, <laughs> um, you know, very well developed first world town. Yes. Uh, I'll put you up in my camp. Yes. Sounds a little bit, um, well, uncertain. Let's put it that way. Oh, my God. Sure. My family <laughs> thought I was insane. Sure. That, like. They were like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're going to Botswana? And they looked at it on the globe and they're like, oh, no. They're like, I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. And it, and it was the middle of nowhere. Um, I flew off on my own in January of 2000. Um, so excited. A um, little bit apprehensive, as you can imagine. Mm -hmm. but, um, I knew as soon as I met him off the plane, as soon as I met him, I knew everything was going to be okay. Okay. Uh, really great guy. Um, we drove into the Makadikadi salt pans, long, long drive. And there I was introduced to my new home for for um, for three months, seemingly, um, which ended up being a lot longer. But I, it was like being in it was like being in my own Attenborough movie. It really was. I went from a nine to five job in Cork to suddenly sleeping in a tree uh, which overlooked the salt pans. Um, my job was to fly with him in his microlite over vast, vast Makadikadi salt pans to quantify the hundreds of thousands of flamingos that were coming into nest there. So that was my job. And it was also pre-digital. So everything was on slide film. So I'd have to take from the air, photos from the air of, of the quantities of birds. And my job was to quantify them. So we'd send off those um, films to London, get them back, and then project like the old fashioned slide projectors, mm -hmm. project them onto the wall. And I, my job was to, to quantify the birds. 
Um, so it was, a, it was a, a very big change from Cork City, I'll tell you that much. But um, when you say incredible. when you say quantify the birds, are you literally looking at the projection and going, OK, one, two? Yes, we, we, we put a big sheet of paper up and I'd have to, with a pen, just mark where those birds were and quantify them. It took like it was a lot of uh, counting. <laughs> like but, um, the experience as a whole sounds amazing, but that does sound a bit tedious. It was, but it was worth it. It wasn't like okay. all the time. Sure, other times we were out. I was assisting him with his um, out on the pans, uh, up up to our knees in in the salt water. Um, he was taking chemical samples from the water. Uh, we'd have to rescue some flamingos that would have flown into. Um, electric wires um, with broken wings and, and the like. But it was just it was just an incredible experience. We're right, right at the edge of the salt pans and the salt pans were massive expanse of of of, um, of, a, of a, a like a, the remnants of a dried up lake. Um, and it's where all the flamingos would come to nest because it's first of all, the when the rains came, which they did in their multitude when I was there, um, the, that salt pan, dry salt pan comes to life with tiny little shrimp and that's what the flamingos feed on and also it's a very safe place for them to breed because they will breed out right out in the middle of the salt pan where no predator can get them um hence we had to fly over them because you couldn't walk out to where they were because you'd, it was very swampy but um but it's really really a, a pristine kind of wilderness um that we that we were living in and i mean botswana as a country there's just under two million people, and it's the size of France. So, as you can imagine, there, it's there's a vast area of wilderness there, uh, and sometimes it felt like we were the first people there, you know, in some areas. So just really, just just breathtaking. It sounds like it really stole your heart. It really did. Yeah, I, I was supposed to only stay there for three months, but sure, I ended up staying a year with Graham. And then I came home for about 10 months to have an exhibition of what I had taken photographs of. And then I got a one-way ticket back. I went, because at that point I had made lots of contacts in the safari industry. And as soon as I went back then, I was thrown into the deep end in the safari industry. I was managing various camps all over the country in very different environments to where I was. From the Makadikadi salt pans, I went up to the Okavango Delta and I went uh, over to the western side of Botswana where all the Bushmen lived. And I was I was immersed into into the safari industry. And that that in itself was was just absolutely I, I it, it'll stay with me forever. It was just an amazing time. I ended up staying for almost 10 years. What, what, years. what was it about Botswana that like that really captured you for that decade of your life. And like you had studied art, like going into business, running safari tours, I imagine, you know, wasn't exactly in the game plan. I'm, I'm, you know, what was it for people, for those of us who've never been there, what kind of a country is it? It's a very peaceful country. Um, it's very wild. Um, the wilderness there, the wildlife there is, is um, there's not many places like it left on earth. Um, we were, I was immersed into the, the wilderness there of various, various wildernesses. And I got to work with some of the most amazing safari guides in the country there. And they taught me how to observe. And I found this, this is a really key thing to, 
to my photography. I, I was continuing my photography all the time. I was photographing um, the wildlife there. I, I became hugely into, I got hugely into the nature photography there. But they taught me how to observe. Um, and that, that was really a key thing for me because you were taught how to use all of the senses, not just your eyes, you were just for your survival. Because a lot of times you'd have to walk guests back to their camp, to their tent at night. Um, you had to be totally aware of your surroundings. So you had to use not just your eyes, you had to listen, you had to use your ears. Um, if you could hear a warning call, be it of a bird, give birds give warning calls, so do antelope, um, they will warn you if there's predators nearby. You use your sense of smell, like if there's a smell of decay, you know there's something has been either killed or something something died, you know, something has died nearby which could warn you of a predator. Um, you used your gut instinct. Um, you basically, the, the guides encouraged me to, to stay still, to slow down and completely observe where you were before you made any kind of movement. Um, and I suppose that stayed with me forever. Um, even when I'm out on the bog now, I, I'm, I'm still doing that, even though I don't have the predators out there like I had there. But um, I think it really has helped my photography. One of, the, gone on. one of the first photographers I was introduced to in college was Dorothy Lang, and I she has this quote that comes to mind as you're speaking and I can't repeat it verbatim but it's something along the lines that photography teaches us how to see yes oh I totally agree um, and especially with um, macro photography it also teaches you to slow down and I think that's the key um, for me with with my photography because um, it was like to come back to Ireland after being there for almost 10 years where I was immersed in the wilderness to come back to Ireland and to come back to Burr from Botswana was mm -hmm. a huge huge change as in uh, like it it took me a long long time to accept really being back um, I found it very very difficult um, what made everything. you come back, if you don't mind me asking? Sorry? What made you come back, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, well, my son was a year and a half, and uh, I really needed to be with family. Um, I, my marriage had broken up, and I, I just wanted to come home. That okay. was basically it. Um, I, it wasn't supposed to be for long, but anyway, I ended up, I ended up staying. But it took, yeah, it, to, it took a long time to, to, to get my bearings again. And you... So you went out in about 2000, so in around 10 years would have been... Going yeah, 2009 I came back, the end of 2009. So the height of the crash. Yes, I came back in the middle of deep recession as well. <laughs> and Ireland, I imagine at that stage, because I remember myself, I had come back, I, and I wasn't in Australia for as long as you were in Botswana, but I remember, I do remember coming back to Ireland and being shocked at how the country, how the atmosphere of the country had changed. And, you know... You said it was a it was a hard adjustment. Was the mood of the country a factor there as well? Oh, definitely the mood of the country, and um, oh, it was. I I just I just missed everything about Botswana. <laughs> I was still there in my head, you know. I wasn't really here. Um, it 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 really was a huge adjustment. Um, I missed every. I missed. I missed the smells. I missed the. I miss the wildlife. I miss the noises at night. Um, I was I had to move, I moved back in with my parents, and that in itself was was like 
really felt like I was going backwards in life, you know, that kind of a way, but even though I wasn't like, but it was just, um, it, 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 I just missed the wilderness. I, I missed taking photographs in the, in the, in the wild. And I, I, I felt really disheartened for a long time, but then I went for a, a walk, um, in 2011 with John Feehan. Um, he's a botanist and ecologist. He's, he's really our Attenborough of Ireland, I think anyway, amazing man. Um, I went on an eco walk with with him in to the bog. Um, there was about eight of us, and I mean my memories of the bog were were kind of grim, really. And my only memories really of it were my dad had a small plot, and he used to go and cut turf. And as as kids, we were brought there, not very willingly, um, to to turn it and stack it and bring it home. And I never looked on the bog as a as a a living place, you know. I think that's something that would be echoed by many people who are raised in the Midlands. The bog was a, a okay. wasteland. Or, you yeah, know. but okay. And it was a place of history and there was a certain recognition of that. But it was a place of hardship. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But but this particular walk, um, he took us just outside of Burr. There's a small bog called Cologne Bog. And um, it was late summer. And uh, we walked in an area of Kilombog that had been given back to nature, really. Um, and John gave us each a little hand lens, like a little magnifying glass. And as he walked and talked about the area and about the wildlife and about the flora and fauna, he was scooping up samples of mosses and tiny little plants and encouraging us to look at these through this magnifier that he'd given us. Um, and it was it was kind of a, an epiphany for me, really. It was it was a, it was a an eye opening moment because I realized that here, right on my doorstep, um, out just a few miles outside of Bar, was a wilderness just as important as the Kalahari where I was, really, except in miniature form, the flora and fauna being tiny, mm-hmm. but um, just as important. And it it was like everything. We were walk. What we were walking on was was living. It was like walking on a on a living, breathing carpet. And it. I went back to the bog the very next day. I mean, I was so blown away by that walk that I went back the very next day with my camera, to realise I had the wrong lens. I didn't have the lens needed, to see what I could see through that little magnifier. I needed that kind of a lens. So I invested in a macro lens, which is the nearest thing. It allows you to photograph tiny little plants and little um, species that you would, you, the naked eye can't really see, you know. Um, so that's what started me on my bog journey. <laughs> um, I started going there for an hour a day and then I would go to two hours and then I'd started to bring sandwiches and I'd end up spending the day there and then I started to explore other bogs and it kind of all started from there. I became not obsessed by it, but really fascinated because every time I went there, I was discovering something new and um, and the macro lens kind of draws you in um, and, and forces you to slow down. And um, really, I started to build up a, a, like a almost like a library of images through the seasons. Did um, you know at that time what you were photographing as in did you have a knowledge of um 
well, the the, uh, the, the creatures, the, the flora and fauna on the bog, or have you learned with time? I've learned with time. I had no idea when I was there initially photographing. I was drawn to certain species, drawn to certain, and then when I'd get home, I'd look it up or I'd get advice from the experts as to what it was I was after photographing. And I suppose over time then, my knowledge, I mean, I'm no, I am, I'm an observer. I'm not a botanist, um, but I, I have learned quite a lot on, on my journey, really. Um, I'm still learning. I'm still finding things that I have no idea what they are. And that's what's fascinating. It, like, it's such an ancient wilderness. There's, there's, I find things there that it, it seems like they're older than time itself, really. Um, I, it just fascinates me. It really does. You mentioned there that you had to go out and, and purchase the macro lens. I assume there was a level of a learning curve there in because I've like I followed your photographs for quite some time now and um, I've seen them in different exhibitions and like the sheer level of clarity you have in the images, um, just even to be able to get the lens to focus on items that are so, so tiny, like you must have put in hours and hours of practice in order to get to that level. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it, it, it's taken a it's taken a long time, and a lot of the like I have a new lens now, and it's um it goes even closer again. It's almost like it's the nearest thing to having a microscope out there. Um, and really, it's a lens that shouldn't even be used out in the open. It should be in a studio on a tripod and all perfect. But I'm bringing it out into the middle of nowhere, <laughs> into the wettest area, like really not camera friendly. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything I'm photographing is on ground level, so I don't use a tripod or anything. For one of the main reasons I don't use a tripod is, um, well, I have two, two main reasons. The one being that I, I love having my hands free because it's a treacherous terrain I'm in. Um, I, I follow animal trails and I, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very respectful of, of the bog. I mean, because it's very, it's very treacherous. You can go down. I have gone down. You, you can go down up to your hip all of a sudden. Um, you really have to watch where you're going. Um, and all, the other reason then is because the flora and fauna is all at ground level. So even with the tripod, it's uh, it, it's a bit pointless for me because I, I literally have to be lying on the ground with my camera to get the shot I want. Um, and I, yeah, over time, um, I've just tried to perfect it more and more. I'm, I'm still not, I, I still have a lot to learn, but um, I'm, I'm learning as I go. But um, I think my, my photography is improving. Um, I suppose my methods are, are improving a little bit um, as to, you know, because I see what I want to photograph and then I, I'm trying to capture that. It, it's, it's not easy, but it's so worthwhile when it does work. It really is. Because a lot of the time I, I look at, at the back of my camera to see what I photographed and, and you can't really appreciate it until you get home and look at it on your big screen because um, then you can see what you actually captured. Um, because you can't really check on the back of your camera when you're looking back on photos you've taken, you can say, oh, I think I might have got that. But you, you, it's only when you get home. And so there is, I still have excitement when I'm driving home going, oh my God, I hope I got that shot. <laughs> um, and it's only when you look at it on the big screen that you know whether you captured it or not. So um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a learning curve, um, but yeah, I'm learning all the time um, and enjoying it. Your back must be in bits. Oh, my back is, yeah, <laughs> my knees. I've invested in um, 
I've invested in uh, knee pads. Oh, it's right. the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I haven't got them for a long time. On a, on a practical uh, level, I'm curious, like going out into the bog, because um, I'm from Offaly myself, so I've walked the bogs plenty. Um, like going out with Kate, and as you said yourself, you can easily get stuck like how do you manage your own safety because okay I'm not saying that you're not exactly going to be afraid of a lion coming along and attacking you or anything like that but you could easily have a nasty fall in the bog and if you're on your own um well things could get difficult well yeah I mean I have gone down before I mean this part I always follow the animal I always follow deer trail because deer trail is very solid um if it can hold a big stag it's going to hold me you know so I, I follow I follow those deer trails and I suppose over time I, I can guess what's underneath. I always bring, I bring a stick lately as well, like a, like a walking stick, really just to, to prod the earth in front of me to make sure it's not uh, going down because I have gone down in the past where you're, you're walking and then suddenly there's a crack that is, is maybe overgrown with heather. There's a crack in, in, the, in the earth and you go down like in one leg right up to your hip and it can be very painful like trying to get out of there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I just, I try to stay as, I, I try to be as, um, sensible as I can. I try not to go too far off a deer trail. Um, and if I'm in a new bog that I haven't been in before, I always have someone with me initially so I can get my bearings and find a kind of a safe route. And then I can go back there on my own. But you know, it's, it's a very treacherous area that, um, needs to be respected when you're out there. Now, speaking of the area needing to be respected, and I think you you kind of um, hinted at it earlier on, in recent years in Ireland, we've we've become more knowledgeable about the importance of bogs as a society, I think. Um, There would have always have been activists and scientists and down through the years who would encourage us to mine the bogs. But I think in recent years, even down to primary school level, we're learning that these are places that we need to mind and really um, admire. Your work, I think, showing the beauty of it and the fact that it is very much a living landscape, it has a contribution to that discussion. Well, I, I'd like to think so. That's, I, I suppose that's the, one of the purposes of, of my photography is to raise awareness. And I do, I do agree that there is a huge amount of awareness now, more than ever before. I mean, there's so many bogs now um, that are being preserved and there's a, a lot of bogs are, have boardwalks being built out onto them. So, so anyone can go out into that kind of a treacherous area but be safe on that boardwalk and it's I, I just encourage anyone who lives near a bog that ha- has that facility just to go out there because it's so good for the mind it's so good for the soul just to get out into these wild places and wild places they really are they are just they are our wilderness they are our rainforest really you know mm-hmm. they they hold more carbon than than all of the rainforests um, put together I mean they're incredibly important um and that realize, like it is being realized now, and which is a great thing. Um, and again, like I mean, so you meet I meet more people now out on the bog than I would have ever like ten years ago. It's amazing. Um, there's definitely a huge awareness now, which is a really great thing. I, I suppose, have a fear 
that I think it's fantastic that there's more people appreciating them and visiting them. But I do have a fear that if they become commercialised tourist areas that we could do more harm than good. Yeah, I have that fear as well, always. But um, I suppose, like, I mean, the likes of Abbey Leaks Bog, I don't know if you know of Abbey Leaks Bog mm-hmm. in Leash. That's a, that's a real success story. I mean, they have built a, a big boardwalk there, but there's the community are so proud of it. And they're, it's a great, it's an amazing story that because, I mean, they, they like, I don't know how long ago it was, I think it was 20 years ago, they, they blocked the gateway that for Borden wanted to come in. They mm-hmm. just blocked it and said, no, this is ours. And it was given back to them. And they have such pride in their area. So there's a huge community um, awareness there and involvement there that they don't they they get their crowds in there but they it's pristine it's still pristine and it's it's treated with such respect that i'd love it's a great example of how it can work you know with the community um in a positive way but yeah no there's always that worry but um yeah it's 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 a tough one but hopefully we'll we'll have the respect that there's no like my, my fear would be of dumping and dumping of rubbish yeah. that kind of thing no that would be a huge fear for me but I mean I suppose these are things we can just hopefully it won't rear its ugly head but you know it's always a worry it's something I can't understand how you can't just what's the differences between oh, listen, I know. driving to the dump and okay yeah it costs a couple of euro but like it's a uh, why you would do that I just uh, yeah I get very angry on that yeah I'm one. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering Tina like in Ireland I'm not sure that we have as much respect as an art form for photography as we do for painters or writers. And the work that you're doing, do you get, and I'm not asking you to go into your finances or anything like that, but like, I'm just wondering on a, on a practical level, like, do you get support from the multiple arts organisations or, you know, um, in, in order to be able to continue making this work, you obviously need to be able to put food on the table every day. Um, is there enough support, do you think, for, for, for people like you? Um, that's a tough one. I, I have... I have got support um, and more so now than I, I did at the start, but um, it's, I suppose it's, it's improving. It's, it could always be better. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to fully support myself doing what I'm doing. Um, but it's, it's definitely going in the right direction. Okay. Um, I think the fact that I, 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 I gave a presentation for COP26, which was a, a, a huge honor um, and I suppose it showed how important imagery is because it speaks. It can tell a lot more than a statement on the environment, like a, a photograph can, can speak volumes. Um, so it's, it's an important tool. It's a very important tool in uh, the era of conser- this conservation. Um, so I suppose it, it is being recognized more I suppose. I don't know if that answers your question, Ashley, but um, it, 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 it does. Um, <laughs> what what was COP twenty six like? What was that opportunity like? Uh, well, it, it was online. I mean, I wasn't in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. I was at home, sweat pouring off me with stress. <laughs> but um, it was um, I was part of the Irish team, which is the Irish peatland gathering. Um, so there was Minister Malcolm Noonan, and um, there was a there was a there was a launch of it, and then I was the first kind of speaker 
just to kind of give a flavor of what beauty there are in the bog. And then after my after my 10 minute presentation, there was then a debate. So I, I was kind of the opening to a debate, um, if you know what I mean. So I wasn't involved in the debate in any way, shape or form, thank God, because I just want uh, my job was purely just to to show what we need to preserve. Um, so it was a great opportunity, really, really, really was um, very humbled to be asked to be involved in it. Being the opener uh, must, you said yourself there, it's a bit of a stressful experience. I There's a part of me having worked from home now since March 2020, that there are times when working from home and having nobody to say, do you know what, this is going to go fine, sitting beside you, that I wonder, is it more stressful to do something like that from home than it might be to be there in person? I don't know. I'll I, I tell you, though, the stress levels were fairly high because one of, before we were, we were in kind of a green room before it went live. And one of the one of the team asked the man who was kind of running it technically, said, oh, like just by out of curiosity, how many are listening into this? And he was like, well, he's a British guy. He's like, um, very hard to tell, but I'd say in the regions of, we're, we're talking the regions of hundreds of thousands. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> I was just like, we really didn't need to hear that. Like before, right before, like a minute before it was going live. But um, um, yeah, I just, I just took deep breaths and I had my index cards with my, like, if I did go blank, I had them there as a backup. But um, yeah, no, it was, it was nerve wracking, I have to say, but it was great. Fantastic feeling when it was done just like yay um but it was really really great really great to be to be involved what kind of reaction did you get to your work from it really great really yeah i was blown away um really great reaction um which was which is wonderful so um yeah it was a very kind of a proud moment you know mm-hmm. yeah i definitely had imagined it was to be to be selected to represent ireland at that level you you should be proud it's an, a phenomenal achievement Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Tina, talk to me about Portal. So, yeah, I have a a new book coming out this May. Um, It is called Portal, Otherworldly Wonders of Ireland's Bogs, Wetlands and Eskers. And it is a seasonal journey through uh, the bogs. I have my first book was out in 2017. It was called Tapestry of Light and it was on a similar vein. But in this book, I, I suppose I delve ever deeper into the bog and um it is just it's it it i hope i'm hoping it will take the viewer on an otherworldly journey um that will open their eyes to to the magic that's out there and encourage them to to really look where they're walking when they're out there and encourage people to go out there in the first place um because they really are an ancient it's really an ancient wilderness out there so um yeah, it's it's a it's a visual kind of extravaganza. I hope I hope people will enjoy it. Um, and every season has something new to offer, something beautiful to offer. Every season is completely different. Um, so it's it's yeah, it's a seasonal journey. Well, Tina, there's a question that I ask all my guests here on the podcast, and I'm very curious as to what your answer might be. In your work, you're telling the story of the Boglands of Ireland. So I'm very much wondering what storytelling means to you. Um, well, I think storytelling is very important for me because I'm, 
I like to think that I'm telling the story of the species that I'm photographing, um, like the likes of the sundew, which is a, a carnivorous plant. I like to photograph it in a way that it, it kind of shows the character um, of the species. Um, it's a very menacing little beautiful plant, but it's very menacing. So I, I suppose I like to get the, I like to try and capture the character. Suppose, so I suppose I am, I am storytelling in a way, trying to reveal the characters that I'm, I'm encountering on that living carpet. Well, uh, Tina Claffey, thank you so much for joining us today on Ireland Creates. The very best of luck with Portal when it comes out in May. We'll be, we'll be sure to, uh, to go out and pick up a copy of it. Uh, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you, Ashling. Yeah, the, the book is Portal and it will be by Cork Books. Thank you very much, Ashling. Really lovely to chat. My thanks to Tina Claffey for taking part in Ireland Creates. Portal will be out later this summer. I hope you enjoyed hearing her story and I do highly recommend that you check out Tina's work. Well, that's all we've got time for on today's episode of Ireland Creates. Thank you for listening. Our podcast artwork was by ClareCreative.com and our theme tune is by createschool.ie. If you'd like to get in contact with me about communications, coaching, or again, to suggest a guest for the podcast, please feel free to do so. You can get in contact with me through my website, ashlingorourke.com or irelandcreates.com. Stay safe and have a great week.